0: America is deeply reactionary at the moment. Same thing can be said for the church. I think we have worked very hard to try to harmonize the Christian gospel and the American dream. We make a sort of Faustian bargain A
1: Machiavellian kind of end justifies the means. You're part of our tribe, and if you're part of our tribe, we'll defend you no matter what. And if you're outside of our our tribe, then you're the enemy.
0: They recast Jesus himself as this ultimate fighting champion. Jesus will not be a mascot for the elephants or the donkeys. Jesus is the lamb, and he's going to reign and rule. Every time the early Christians said, Jesus is Lord, they were saying, Caesar is not... Your baptism has made you an exile. You don't belong to this anymore. Political power drives everything. If you cannot criticize your political party because that's your civil religion. You will be respected. You will be in power. It was everything that they ever wanted to hear. The way of the Lamb is always love. The way of the Lamb is always peace where the lamb is always grace. They say they're rejecting Christianity, but they're actually rejecting a version of American nationalism. I think one of the most important things for American Christians to perceive is that America is not a kind of biblical Israel, but a kind of biblical Babylon. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital Connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today. Today uh, marks one year since our first online worship service when the COVID-19 lockdown started. I mean, think about everything that has happened in this past year. First of all, none of us knew that last Sunday, you know, a year ago, last Sunday would be our last normal service before the COVID-19 lockdown. And think about everything that's happened this year. What a a mind-boggling, unbelievable year it has been. So thank you so much for being a part of this community. Some of you were here before the lockdown. Some of you have come since. Our church has actually grown during the COVID-19 lockdown and uh, we thank you so much for being a part of this community called the well and thanks for being with us this morning now speaking of the lockdown we had one outdoor worship service in january and we planned to do those monthly but the day that we had that outdoor service covid cases spiked again in arizona and we just thought well we can't we can't do it now but the cases are now going down somewhat but uh, we're going to continue to observe all the safety protocols that we've been observing but we're going to have uh, a both outdoor and online Easter service this year at The Well. So Easter is April 4th and we're going to meet both outdoors and online. So outdoors is at our normal meeting place, Hancock Elementary School in Chandler, Arizona. And uh, we'll meet on the, the grassy courtyard they have there, so if you're going to be a part of that, please wear a mask, please observe physical distancing, staying six feet apart. You can bring your own chair, bring your own blanket to sit on if you'd like, bring your own drink. Uh, there, there are restrooms indoors uh, in the facility, but um, we'll meet outdoors the entire time. There will be no children's ministry. Children are invited, and so we'll have an abbreviated service. We'll sing a couple of songs. I'll give a shortened sermon that keeps in mind that the kids are there. And then after the service, the kids will receive a a little Easter egg goodie bag. There won't be an egg hunt, but they'll have a goodie bag with Easter eggs inside of it. So I want to invite you uh, to the online and outdoor Easter service. And if if you feel like you're not ready to meet in person yet, the service will be online just like normal. And, And please join us either outdoors or online. Uh, Sunday, April 4th, for Easter at the Well. Now, today we're excited to welcome a special guest to to continue our series, Postcards from Babylon. Today, Aaron Stritzel is going to give the sermon on chapters 7 and 8 from the book. Many of you know Aaron. Aaron was my successor at a church I planted called One Church, and uh, he did a phenomenal job, and he was the associate pastor there for a year and a half while I was still there and and i just grew to love him and appreciate him and i know he's near and dear to many of you he's just a a great guy a great spiritual leader and i'm excited to have him speak at the well today and we're going to watch aaron give the sermon on chapters seven and eight and then i'll come back and close the service And then this week, if you want to read along, you would just read chapters 7 and 8, and then this coming Wednesday, you can be a part of that online connect group, get information at wellchurch.org to discuss chapters 7 and 8. So every week you have the sermon with the two chapters, then you read the two chapters, then you have that online connect group to discuss the reading. So without any further ado, let's welcome uh, Aaron Stritzel.
1: Well, it's great to be with you all. Um, as you probably know, my name is Aaron Stritzel, and it's great to be among uh, family and friends. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, Pastor Ryan is a good friend um, and his family, good friends of our family. Uh, I've been following along the book, uh, Postcards in Babylon with you. Uh, for me, it was very timely. Like a lot of people, uh, I, the past few months really wrestled even more than before what is this Christian message and what does it mean to be a Christian? As we saw the last few years in our politics, as well as the insurrection in January, where uh, people waving Christian flags or saying Jesus is Lord or praying before um, spoke and acted in a way that for me is, is not conveying what it means to be a Christian. One of the things Brian Zahn really cuts to, I think, right away, is this idea that we in America have bought into an American version of Christianity. I uh, first recognized this when I was with my wife in what was called a discipleship training school for a YWAM youth with a mission. We were in England, and and this particular, what was called a, a mission base, was the, the operational base for all of Europe. So there was 100 plus different people from all over the world gathered here. Uh, it was also during the Iraq war. So we, we engaged in all of these discussions about politics and war, even simple things like drinking alcohol, which was taboo depending on where you came from. Um, for other people, it was just part of the culture. And, and that was a breaking point for me where I began to recognize that, oh, the Christianity I know has been largely shaped by America. So today, I I wanted to bring before us, as we begin, this idea that what I think... The the church has a lot of issues. Let's just admit that right out, right? As a pastor, I can say that. The church has a lot of issues. But perhaps one of the core issues, at least that I've come to understand, is this. That the major problem we have in the Western church is that we've domesticated Jesus. I recently spoke at a a small rural church here in Colorado. Like I live in a fairly rural uh, place, um, population of our county is about 55,000, maybe closer to 60,000 now, but I drove an hour to get to this place. All there was was cows and goats and mountains. (laughs) So it gives you an idea. There were seven people that showed up. Of course, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so that plays a role in that. Uh, They still meet in person right now and what i noticed right away is there's this picture on the side of this uh sanctuary of jesus of course you probably know where i'm going with this who's white scandinavian what what i realized what stood out to me is like we have shaped jesus into the image of our own (laughs) he's white he looks just like you and i um he looks just like a Typical American, at least leading up to now, that things are changing. We're uh, becoming more brown and, and diversifying in our nation. But for the most part, what people would have viewed as America is a white person. We've changed and shaped Jesus. Jesus, by the way, wasn't white. <laughs> and part of that, though, is we've also domesticated Jesus, we've domesticated his message, which is, I think, why so many people, a growing number of people, are confused and wrestling with am I a Christian? Do I want to be a part of this? It's because the Christian message that gets conveyed often is a message that we don't resonate with. Let me just suggest to you, it's also a message I don't think Jesus would resonate with either. In America, it's easy to, to in an empire, uh, it's easy to have the message of Jesus co-opted. So The message of America is often more. It's about greed and consumerism. We've co-opted the Christian message. See, the American message suggests that even though we have 5% of the population, we have a right to consume a quarter of the world's energy and resources. I believe that American Christians are largely defined by American first and Christian second. Brian Zahn, in his postcards from Babylon, asks the question, a prophetic question, says, can you feel it? It's all around you, but can you feel it? Can you feel the falseness that prevails in Babylon? I'm willing to bet that you can feel it if you're here, if you're a part of the well community. Probably been feeling it for a while. Something feels off. Something feels wrong. We have allowed the prophetic message of Jesus to be co-opted. So part of our struggle, I think, can come back to this idea of the Bible. We're so disconnected from the stories and the stories found in the Bible that I deal with it too, but I've had a lot of people as a pastor come up to me and say, the Bible is outdated, it's old, it's ancient, it's irrelevant, um, and it is in some ex- to some extent, but it's also deeply relevant when we understand the culture and the time and what, people were going through then. So let's just take a look at how the Hebrew scriptures were formed, what we often call the Old Testament, just briefly. The the Old Testament uh, Hebrew scriptures can be summarized into two main parts, exile and exodus. In 587 BCE, there was an empire, the Babylonian empire. King Nebuchadnezzar came down, conquered the Israelites and took away most of their brightest and most educated people in Israel they were forced to live in exile in Babylon. This is where you get the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was during this season of exile where the people began to say, where did we come from? What is our story? How did we get here? I mean, I can resonate because I'm in a transitional period of my own life. Um, for those of you who know us may kind of laugh a little bit because That's been true like the last five years of our lives. I I know that uh, my job here in the church that I am pastoring is closing, coming to an end, and we don't know what that means for us next. And so my wife and I are doing a lot of reflecting back on our own lives, where we've come and the stories that have shaped us to help us discern where are we going. In similar ways, this is what the Hebrew people were doing in exile. And what they uncovered was this. That the Exodus narrative is the birthing narrative of the Hebrew people. That's how that people came together. Sure, there's other stories. There's Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and eventually Joseph. And that stories are important. They lead up and they, they show that God, Yahweh, called these people to be a representation of what it meant to live in right relationship with all of creation and how they wound up in Egyptian oppression. But it was actually Exodus. Coming out of the oppression, it really shaped and solidified the Hebrew uh, people as a, as a tribe, as a group of people. So, most of us should know some of the story of Exodus. Uh, Moses, he was raised in um, Egypt. He banished before killing one of the Egyptians. And he encounters Yahweh on a, in a burning bush on a mountain. And Yahweh says this. We read in Exodus 3, 9, and 10. We read the following. The cry of the Israelites, this is Yahweh speaking, is coming to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What we learn is the formational story of the Hebrew people is a story about an empire and about oppression. God has a preferential option for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. This is what liberation theologians teach us, but this this is the story of exile saying, no, I cannot stand it when people are oppressed, when people are beaten, when when people are enslaved, when people are taken advantage of, when some people become rich off the shoulders and backs of other people who are impoverished. The rest of the Hebrew Bible uh, can be summarized as this, they, they are led out into the wilderness, they are freed, they are liberated, they are saved, they're brought before Yahweh, and they create this covenant. Yahweh basically saying, I want you to become a people, a representation of what it looks like to live in right relationship with all of creation. I want you to flourish in a way that allows everybody and everything, all creation, to flourish. Sure, it's easy to look back and say, wow, there was a lot of rules and a lot of legalism in that but that's over two, closer to 3,000 years ago. (laughs) Um, It's a long time ago. And here's a group of people coming out of bondage, feeling freedom for the first time. Of course, they're gonna figure out how do we live? What does it mean to be fully human? What does this mean to live in a way where we're not in bondage? And how do we not become the very thing we just escaped, an empire of oppression? Well, you probably know what happens eventually they do. See, there was a form formation of a group of people called the priests, where where the Israelites set some people aside and said, "Worship is so important for us. Sacrifices, which, by the way." Uh, Groups in the ancient world at that time sacrificed to the gods. So it makes sense that the Hebrew people adapted that and said, this is how we worship Yahweh. And so they went go through these series of sacrifices. The priests would uh, perform those sacrifices and set up those rituals for them. Really, this worship was meant to remind the people to keep on the forefront of their minds where they came from and who they were. But unfortunately, they get off track and they they um, mistake, mistake the means for the ends. Or you could say it this way, the sacrificial worship became the thing and how they treated others wasn't as much of a priority. Because of this tendency, we, we see what happens is there's this other group of people, not priests, they're called prophets. They rise up and they, they bring people back to the core message. They say, what matters is the vulnerable. What matters is how you treat people. That's what matters. What we see today happening is thousands of people gathering every week for worship. Christians all over the globe, and 736 million people are living in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Extreme poverty simply means people who live off of less than a dollar ninety a day. I can't even fathom that. We live in one of the wealthiest empires to have ever existed and yet we have about 34 million people who continue to live in poverty. The rich are getting richer, the poor is getting poorer, the middle class is disintegrating, the rich are, are, are getting wealthy off of the backs of people who are getting poorer. So in many ways, the, these ancient stories are extremely relevant for us today. It's heavy stuff. But what Brian Zahn calls falseness, he says this. He he declares what the falseness is and says, the falseness is the phony assumption that the pursuit of money and power is sustainable. (laughs) See, empires will always pursue more, more money, more power. But what we're seeing now today in our world is that we know that cannot be, is not sustainable. So what do we do about it? We need profits. We need profits to rise up. Prophets like the prophet Amos, who spoke on behalf of Yahweh the following, in Amos 5, 21 through 24, declaring this, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos, the prophet, is declaring to the people, God could care less. It's noise. Your worship gatherings, your music, that is not the thing. Justice, fairness, equality is the thing. I love how the message translation um, declares or translates verse 24. It says this, Do you know what I want? I want justice, God says, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. See, prophets are radicals. Radicals come from the Latin word radic or radix, which means root. Prophets were calling people back to their roots, back to the root cause and saying this was the message of Jesus. It was about justice and fairness. It was about liberation and how you treat the most vulnerable. This is the core message of the Hebrew people. And they got off track from it. Jesus was a prophet but we've domesticated Jesus. We've made him this white Scandinavian guy who's super nice, neat, and tidy, and just kind of embraces everybody. But Jesus was a radical prophet who called people back to their roots. I was raised in the church. Um, I was born. My first memory of the church is walking down the aisle in my diapers and seeing the pews on both sides in in my Baptist church. That's where I started. I went to a Christian conservative school my entire life. I was involved in church two to three times a week. So if anybody should have been formed by the Christian message, it should have been me. As I graduated high school, I would have told you the core message of Jesus can be boiled down to this question. Where do you go when you die? Where are you going to go? Sure, people mattered, their health, their well-being, that they had food and water and clothes, that mattered. But you know what? If they're still going to burn in it forever in hell, what's the point? (laughs) The point was saving souls. See, the central message that so many evangelical Christians believe is that Jesus was sent to die for our sins so that an angry God can forgive us and we can go to heaven when we die. It's about escaping, getting out of here. So thousands gather together to worship, to remind themselves that this is not our home and we're getting out of here. They think they have the message, they're not open to hearing something else. This is why so many people twice can vote for a leader that seems so antithetical to the message in the life of Jesus. NPR wrote an article in 2020 of November and stated this, a noticeable fact in 2016 was that the exit poll showed about 80% of white evangelical Christians supported Trump in spite of his unfamiliarity with the Bible, his divorces, his vulgar rhetoric, and his association with porn stars. Language, I'm just reading it. But people were able to look past all of that. Somebody that doesn't reflect the message of Jesus. Something is wrong. But there's a reality we need to reclaim to domesticate jesus i don't think that's a word but i just to unmesticate to i'm making up words now but you get the point to allow jesus to be wild again jesus was killed because he spoke out against jesus our systems and empires of oppression this is why he was killed he healed people who gave uh, who were sick gave sight to the blind fed the poor ate with the people who others didn't associate with, and called his followers to do the same. This was the movement that Jesus began. At the core of this message was this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I used to think I knew what the word repent was. Repent meant feel really, really bad for saying certain words, or for looking at certain things, or for watching certain movies, and be like, oh, I'm such a horrible worm of a person. Repent actually comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to put on new eyes, or to see differently. To suggest that we need to see differently is to suggest, as Brian Zahn said, we see falsely. We need to change. I think we need that message today. To see differently. When Christians live their lives in pursuit of the power and greed, we see falsely. When Christians don't think about the planet, we see falsely. When Christians... Don't consider how much we waste, we see falsely. When Christians allow 25,000 people to die every day of hunger, we see falsely. When Christians are more concerned that our nation become the greatest nation while cutting off the most vulnerable, we see falsely. I wrote a poem that reflects this idea. As I was tuning in, reading this book, Postcards in Babylon, it is a prophetic poem in many ways. I hope you can hear the heart behind it but it's really my view of how the church has gotten off track. I'll read it to you now. We've lost our voice. We are becoming irrelevant. The world continues on while we sit back and sing. We look on while people go hungry, while our planet cries out in suffering. Our words fall flat for hope of another place. We're somewhere distant, a future rain, Meanwhile, thousands go without clean water, while our planet cries out in pain. If the message is really about escape, what real hope does that bring me? We watch as greed and power corrupt us all while our planet cries out in agony. We have lost our prophetic voice, our prophetic call to declare a different way, a healing path forward. We have been lulled asleep by our own apathy while our mother is raped, abused, and destroyed. Kind of reminds me of Brian Zahn's question, can you feel it? And you feel the falseness that prevails in babylon in many ways the church has been co-opted by the empire and been used and manipulated for more power so what do we do we need to get back on track we need to recapture our roots and how do we recapture that prophetic call it starts within us and all the little decisions you and i make every day last year my wife molly and i decided we're only going to buy Clothes made from sustainable and ethically sourced places. Then this year, we decided we're only going to buy secondhand clothes. Nothing new this year. That's not to brag. It's to confess that I was a part of a oppressive system. Fast fashion is what some people call it, where clothes are made so quickly and poorly, and the people who make them are not paid a livable wage. Just for us, primarily in the West, to be able to buy new things, to satisfy our consumerism for a short time and we make choices like this every day can you bring reusable bags to the grocery store can you shop your food when it's in season can you drive less or carpool more can you waste less I, I, my wife got me a, a christmas present a book 101 ways to go zero waste you can find more information on goingzerowaste.com and I learned that the average American wastes 4.4 pounds of trash a day. 4.4 pounds. That's mind-boggling. That itself should cause a little disruption within you. Oh. And she suggests, the author and the person on the website, she suggests all kinds of simple ways we can waste less. Buy in bulk and waste less plastic. Buy less plastic. Make some things like soap or shampoo or toothpaste. Simple things that we all can do. See, these are ways to cultivate our own prophetic call to live in a different way. The empire, our consumeristic American culture says more. I don't care about waste. I don't care how it affects other people. I don't care if they're paid a livable wage. I don't care um, if they have to live in poverty. I don't care as long as I get rich and I get more powerful and I gain more wealth. The prophetic call of Jesus is to say no. That's not the way. We take these steps individually, but also in small communities. This is why places like The Well are so important right now, where people are wrestling with what it means to be Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, what they see on TV and say, I don't understand. There's something wrong. But yet I find Jesus compelling. We need communities like The Well. You're a part of a prophetic community of saying, no, there's a different way of following Jesus, of living a Jesus-inspired Life, it's anti-kingdom, it's hard, it's challenging, but it's the way to find and really live into life and life abundantly. I wanna close here in a moment with prayer, but before I do, I thought I'd read just a few sentences out of the last uh, pages of the chapter eight from Brian Zahn because it inspired me. Hopefully it'll connect with you as well. Brian Zahn writes this, he says, so let us recover our courage. Let us dare to live a risky Christianity Let us dare to be a counter-cultural pushing back against the falseness prevailing in our society. Let us risk being ridiculed, mocked, or worse. Let us not play it safe. Jesus never promised us safety. Jesus promised us abundant life, eternal life, true life. But Jesus never promised us a safe life. If you feel the falseness prevailing in society, then reject the falseness by risking everything on the gamble that what the Gospels say about Jesus Christ is true. The Gospel, a call, a call, an invitation to the reconciliation of all things, a call to a radically different way, to get back to our roots, to love affirm all, and to, as liberation theologians remind us, to have a preferential option for the poor, the vulnerable, and the oppressed. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So may we be a part of a movement that says enough is enough. May we recognize all the small choices we make, And may we be in community encouraging each other that those small choices matter. And may there be this growing urge, this growing movement, this growing urgency that says we have to live differently. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time. And thank you for every person listening and watching wherever they're streaming in from. God, thank you for the well, this great community, this prophetic community. My hope today is that we are all inspired, that we can all find little ways individually and larger ways together in community to live into an anti-kingdom, an anti-consumeristic, loving way of being, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. So may this kingdom inspire us to live into a different way of being human where all creation can flourish.